It is great to be with you, and we want to welcome each of you at each of our campuses as we have a very exciting weekend ahead of us. It's my privilege as pastor of Global Impact not only to accumulate a lot of frequent flyer miles, but also to represent you and work with some tremendous leaders and people all over this community and all over the world. And it really is an honor. And uh, so many times people come and say, when you get back to your church, please tell the people of Christ's community, thank you for the work you're doing. And so I want to say that right now. Uh, we have wonderful people we work with, and they are very appreciative of you and the work that you've been doing. We've been involved in something called Gospel Unleashed, which is a, a great story of God unleashing compassion and churches and change agents or leaders uh, throughout our community and in the world as well. And we're going to be talking about that a little bit later. But first, we want to get into the scriptures. And I ask you to turn to Joshua chapter 2 at this time. As we look at a great passage from the book of Joshua, story of Joshua, as it relates to the subject of fear. Fear. Now, this is a, a, a great uh, passage because it really helps us overcoming something that we want overcome in our lives. Uh, fear is something that's common to all of us. And a very foundational truth that we approach in this passage that relates to fear is this one. That how you see life, that is at your very core, how you approach this issue of life and God and ourselves, is huge in addressing the subject of fear in our lives, especially in a positive way. Now, I need to tell you a little bit of a story. A few years back, I uh, <clears throat> had an interesting experience when I was uh, reading a book or a newspaper or something I would notice that the, the letters on the page tended to get smaller and more blurry. Uh, strange for me, I, just, I, I would read it and it just got really bad, but as my wife would say, uh, do you need some help here? And I said, no, no, I'm fine, I'm a, I'm a guy, we don't need help. And so uh, you just kind of hold out this book a little bit farther from you and it was okay for a while and then it kind of reaches this point of, of no return where your arm just simply is not that long anymore. And it all came to a great uh, climax or downfall, depending on how you look at it, one particular Sunday morning when I was reading the scripture in a church service. And it was a passage I had not memorized, I mean, not even close. And I got going into this passage and was reading it, and it was just one big blur. And as I'm trying to work my way through this, as you can imagine, uh, the response, it was not pretty. And I could hear people saying, like, what version is he using? What is he talking about? And I, I kind of, and it, for sure, it was the most creative rendition of the scriptures you've ever heard in your life. <laughs> I had a problem. I needed help with my problem. And fortunately, help came very simply in a set of these that many of us use and wear. And it's wonderful eyeglasses. They are tremendous. Problem solved. Seeing clearly was really important to functioning well in life. Now, in Joshua chapter 2, we have a similar situation that's going on here. A great life parallel in dealing with fears about the nature of life and seeing it and finding help for our fears. Now, in Joshua chapter 2 and verse 1, I'd like to just begin this passage by reading this verse with us. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent out two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. 
Now for Joshua, this had to be a surreal moment in time. I mean, extremely emotional. Uh, this is, if you're making a movie of Joshua's life, this was a time you, you enter the flashback scene. <laughs> because 40 years prior, Joshua stood at the exact same place on the east bank of the Jordan River. He faced the exact same challenges of looking out across the river to this great land. He had the same, exact same promises that he heard from God, that I'll be with you, I will give you this land, you'll be successful, you can do it. But the response was very different. Forty years earlier, fears just kind of swept through the people. They were terrified, they were immobilized with fear. They began thinking, we can't do this. In fact, God can't do this. And life became very blurry for them, and they turned and ran from that place, and they wandered into the desert for the next 40 years until all of that generation passed away. Very sad. I mean, I think it was the worst moment in Joshua's life. With all this potential, this opportunity, here he was, a young man, ready to go in and conquer the land, have some place for his children and his family to grow and to, to call home. And the people ran. They missed it. When I think about missing the big thing that God has for us, wow. And they did. Well, four decades had passed, and now a slightly older Joshua comes back with the people. This time he's leading. Moses the leader had died, and they're ready to cross the Jordan. Now, chapter 2 is a great story, and I want to just kind of run through it for you to give a little bit of context for what's happening here. Joshua's ready to lead the people across the Jordan, but first he wants to send in some spies, and he kind of assembles a very small two-member special ops team to go into the city of Jericho to check it out and see what's going on. Now, the story is pretty intense if you read the entire chapter. Uh, they go into the city. They go to a house of a prostitute by the name of Rahab. And you say, why did they do that? Well, probably it's to lower suspicions of what these two strangers were doing in town. And they might be overlooked. But they weren't overlooked. And very quickly, the authorities of that community find out that there's two men and they fear that they're Israelites. And they go searching. And the word passes. They went to, went to Rahab's house. The story is amazing as they, the house is searched and Rahab hides the two spies. And then she lies to protect them. And finally, finally the searchers give up and, and Rahab gives them a plan of escape and they get out of the city. They go back to Joshua and all is well once again with their report. Now this very first verse of the book of Joshua chapter 2 is just, I, I think it says more than we realize. Go and look over the land, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. I mean, to, to me, the great news of this passage are these words that bounce back and forth. Go, and they went. Go, and they went. I mean, the exact opposite of what took place 40 years prior in Joshua's life. Now, the context here is especially fascinating to me. God had promised the land. He said, it will be yours. He guarantees victory. Now, think of this. The God of heaven says to Joshua, you will win. 
You'll be victorious. You'll be courageous. You can do this. He says the land is good. It will produce a great harvest. It'll be a place to call your own. Finally, after all these years, you will have a home, an inheritance in which to live. It would be theirs. In fact, in chapter 1, it says, God says, I will give it to you. It's a gift from God to the people. They would have it. But here's the deal. With all of that being entirely true, they must take the initiative. They must fight. They must risk their lives. They must face all the drama of military battles and conquest in order to possess the land. They will suffer casualties. Some of them will die. There'll be some successes, and there will be some failures. So, go into the land. Now, if we will fast forward this story to our day, I think you will see our struggle and the issue before us. We, too, face weighty decisions in our lives. We face opportunities all over the place to get involved in things that are significant and important with people. We also have unknown futures. None of us knows how this all plays out day to day. We have a sense of mission. Many of us know about God's love and his promises, his faithfulness, his plans. And we love what God does for us, don't we? We love it. But there's something else that we love. We love our happiness. And we love our pleasure. And we love our comfort. And we love the American dream. My, these things attack us with every commercial that we watch on TV and every book or magazine that we watch and read. They scream at us for pleasure and comfort. We live in this culture. They become the reason why we work, so at the end we can have a what? Comfortable retirement. This is the end game. But I think it's even more than the lifestyle that is the big issue that we face. It is an expectation that God's plans and purposes are all about his doing things for us. I mean, we've almost made this jump that God's job description is to protect us from pain and deliver us from problems, to further our agenda, to provide for everything that we feel like we might need, almost like to put us in this big protective bubble, you know, where we can kind of drift through life and look out and see the world and be comfortable inside. Certainly there are some problems we face, but these are the anomalies. Because life with Jesus must certainly be fun and easy. That's the mental expectation that I think has developed. I've heard it from others. Now, the irony in all of this is strange because God certainly does protect. And he does save us. He does help us. He does heal us. He delights in doing all of those things in abundance throughout our lives. Life generally is very good. But my question is, is that what the Christian life is really about? And maybe we too need somewhat of a vision checkup to see something different. Maybe our lives need some corrective lenses. But this is what Jesus said. 
And this is what Jesus lived. In this world, you will have trouble. But be of good courage because I have overcome the world. That's the deal. That's the deal. He taught about not stressing out about stuff in life, of what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and the kind of clothes you're going to wear and all that kind of things. He says, God can handle that. He really does have it under control. Instead, he said, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is, get around and about kingdom business. That's the aim. That's the deal. And as we all realize, part of that involves risk. Now, there's good news here. It's freeing when we understand this nature, this core value of what life is about. It puts us on the offensive when it comes to the subject of fear. God's plans and purposes are not about doing things for us. God's plans and purposes are about doing things through us. And there's a huge difference between the two. Now, with that understanding, the passage in Joshua 2 makes a lot of sense and really helps us in our dealing with fear. Joshua's told, go in and battle for the land. Don't expect the people there just to leave the key under the mat and leave for you with the lights on. You're going to have to fight and have to struggle. Of course there would be risk. For sure there would be problems. There would be danger. Certainly you're going to meet obstacles. Don't be surprised by that. All of that is the nature of life, even as we walk with God. Do you see life like that? How, how, do you, how do you see it? How's your vision today? Now, what we're talking about is a huge, really a huge paradigm shift that a lot of people have to make. A shift in the way of how we see God work with his people and the whole nature of life. What this paradigm shift is, is an, a movement away from insistence upon what is easy and comfortable and toward adventure toward what's out there that God has for us that sometimes is difficult. And paradoxically, that's precisely where life and fullness and excitement and vigor is found. Now, as a church, we're facing a similar challenge in what's ahead for us. We're nearing the end of three fantastic years of what we call Gospel Unleashed. And as successful and as amazing as these years have been for us, I really feel, I just sense that we're kind of on the edge of the Jordan looking across the river. <laughs> like there's still so much more out there that God has for us. And I'd like to provide for the remaining of my time a bit of a picture of what's across the river. It's something we're calling Gospel Unleashed Hope Renewed. What's out there? What can we expect? Now for this, you're going to need some glasses to check your eyesight to see how it looks, because it often looks very differently without the perspective of God's vision. Now, to begin with, let's look through the lens together and see what God might be doing in the area of compassion. I want to tell you about a story about a man by the name of, I will call him for security purposes, Ahmed. Uh, you may well know that your gifts to Gospel Unleashed support five amazing families in Syria. They are incredible people who are living with great risk. 
They've been shot at. They've had rockets hit their homes. They worship with grenades exploding outside the, the windows of their church, if there are windows left. But they are living with grace, bringing grace to a place that has very little grace and has known that over the last four years of fighting. Now, the story of Ahmed, as we enter that, is an interesting one for me. Uh, my first exposure in this country, the world, was um, uh, fearful, okay? We'll leave it at that. We won't go Brian Williams this year tonight, uh, today. But uh, it, was, it was just very intimidating, very difficult. And uh, after that initial contact, we brought back a team to this, the area of Syria. And we decided we would face the things we were fearing in a very uh, godly way, we thought, and that is we'd pray. We didn't know what else to do. And so our partners there took us up to the top of a great castle, which we'll show you a picture of. This is a 900-year-old crusader castle. It was huge. It's tall. It's big. It's a great fortress. And we went up there to pray. And it was a fantastic experience because as we were there, we looked out over this beautiful area of, of Syria that had green valleys and trees and things were growing and there were villages all over the place. In fact, there were 481 villages as we were told by our friends. But they said this, and this is why we want you to pray. In all those villages, there's not a single follower of Jesus, not a single Christian, not a single church in all of this country. And it's been very, very difficult for us to work there. Now fast forward one year later, and I met Ahmed. And we met at a restaurant in a far distant place that was pretty remote. And he began to tell me a story. For one day in the middle of an afternoon, while he was still awake, Jesus appeared to him in a vision. And in this vision, he said, I want you to follow me. And in the vision, there were people all around him saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't follow this man. But somehow he knew this was God. And he followed he went home and he told his family about what he had experienced and, and about what he knew, which was so little. And all his family embraced Christ as Savior. He told his friends, and they were amazed, and they too came to faith in Jesus. And soon, the first church in this part of the world existed. It's a great story. What hit me when I was listening to the story was, Ahmed was from the same area that we prayed for. Same area, same people. And God answered his being the first of this three million person people group to follow Christ and for churches to begin. Today, in just this small part of Syria, there are 63 house churches that exist. In fact, one humor story, one of them is in Ahmed's home. And on the, the on the mantle of his, his living room is a picture of Christ Community Church. Can you believe this? And right next to it, Christ the Good Shepherd. Each of those made by women of our church that we brought with us that he proudly presents there and, and creates good discussion as people come into his home, as you might imagine. Ahmed's journey was risky. He faces fears. He lost his job. He's been threatened. But he knew this was just simply part of what it meant to follow Jesus. Through his testimony, many people have come to faith, including many sheikhs of that area. Your gifts and prayers have been a part of that. 
of this life-giving movement to this part of the world. But there's really more to the story because compassion now flows from this man's ministry. In fact, compassion always flows from the church, doesn't it? And so from these churches now have all these acts of compassion that are taking place. Just this Christmas time, people took to the streets and they began to march up and down the streets singing songs about Jesus and sharing their testimonies about Jesus changing their lives. And I asked, how did the people respond? Did they throw rocks like they typically do? He said, no, they listened, they respected us. Food and blankets, which came from your gospel unleashed gifts, were distributed during a very different, difficult and cold winter that Syria experienced. Less than two months ago, there were hundreds of people that responded to the good news of the gospel, wanting to come to Christ, wanting to be baptized to follow Christ. The gospel was unleashed, and yet it was unleashed in the context of risk. Imagine, if you can, where this is all going as you put on your glasses. Kindness flowing in ever-widening circles in Delhi, India, as more and more girls are rescued from the sex trafficking industry of that city. Areas of Uganda without health care at present, without 911s to call, without ambulances to come to their need at those times of, of pain. We'll have a health, a health clinic that soon begins just days away from where we are right now. Women taking risk to love even those caught in the sex industry of our own state of Colorado. One couple bringing families hope and relief when their children are born with healthy, unhealthy lives and, and difficult hospital stays that sometimes can last weeks and months to love them and pour out grace upon their lives. We're exploring ways, and I love this next picture, of, of rescuing more girls in the area of Kenya where the Girls Rescue Center is is at, at place, and it's just a great place, and you can see all the girls that we want to reach many more, and we're exploring ways, how do we do this in more efficient and, and helpful, positive ways? Girls that are trapped in forced marriages and female genital mutilation need help, need hope, need a future. Right here in our own city, there are changes of seismic proportion that are occurring I was looking and noticed that the United Nations states that there are 100, 193 nation states in the world. In addition, two other observer states and 11 others, whatever others means, for a total of 206 nations in the world. Do you know that within a 10-mile radius of where you sit, 47 of these nations are represented in this community? Now do the math. A fourth of the world's nations are represented, and they're your neighbors. And I am so thankful for works like the Global Refugee Center, where people have crossed that river and taken tremendous and courageous steps to meet the needs of people, teaching English, providing citizenship classes, GED diplomas. Amazing work we really respect. They brought compassion into the life of those who have come here as asylees and refugees. So how's your vision? Life happens not in a recliner. It happens on the adventure. Here's the second area. Let's look through those lenses again and see what's ahead in terms of churches. 
churches. Now, I love the picture you're going to see. It is one of my favorites. It's taken in the Amazon, and it uh, pertains to a lady by the name of Sabina. Now, Sabina works with one of our partners in Peru. She's the third lady from the left, and she's walking through one of the tributaries of the Amazon. Now, I should just mention, I would normally be in this picture, but I have this thing about anacondas and piranhas. It just, it just affects me in a strange, strange way. So I said, yeah, you guys can do that. And uh, especially, they, they cross three of these in the middle of the night in the dark. I don't know. It's a, a level beyond, way beyond me. But Sabina and her team went into the Am uh, Amazon jungle. And they went to a uh, part of the jungle in another part of Peru where they heard there was a tribe of people that needed Jesus. There was no church, no believers that they knew of. And uh, a tribal group called the Hawarunis. They entered the tribe, and as they first entered the tribe, they found there were three men who had committed some kind of crime, and the next morning they were going to be executed. And so it seemed to them logical to say to the tribal leaders, do you mind if we talk to these three men before they die tomorrow and tell them the story about how they could be forgiven and have eternal life and have assurance of those things? I mean, it's really important. The tribal leaders said, that's fine. They're going to die anyway, so you can do what you want. They shared the gospel with these three men, and all three accepted Jesus as their savior. Now the leaders were listening and they came to the team and they said, um, what about us? Can we know Jesus as well? The team thought that was fine and so they shared the message of the gospel. And hundreds of people, literally hundreds of people within this tribal group embraced Christ as their savior. The next morning came, and the tribal leaders were troubled as they came to our team uh, leaders, and they said, uh, we have a problem. Uh, after what happened yesterday, we don't know what to do at this point, because how can we kill these men who are now our brothers in Christ? And they said, the team replied, you have a problem. <laughs> and they worked out a plan of restitution. It was a great plan, and the church grew. Now, it's a fun story but not without risk. I should tell you something that the team knew before they went. This was a tribal group in the Amazon that still shrunk the heads of people that they conquered and did not like. They entered the tribe not knowing if they'd be killed, if they'd be rejected, or would be welcomed. Again, that's a level of commitment that goes way beyond what I'm experiencing. But what I was impressed with when I talked to these people, this team, was that hardship and suffering was simply expected as part of following Jesus. There was no whining, there was no griping, no poor us. This was just simply what Christians do in reaching out with the good news. And by the way, that's not even the best part of this story. Shortly afterwards, they came back, they began to disciple these new believers, and at the baptism service, it was so exciting because the first pastor of this church was the man who was going to be executed that morning. And baptized next to him was the person who was going to do the execution. Great picture of God's grace. But there's more to the story. As we were just there, a team of us just a few weeks ago, we met 10 men who came from that tribe who were at our International Training Institute, the ITI. Ten men 
who are studying in a two-year internship program to be missionaries in order to share the gospel with people throughout the land of Peru. Isn't that cool? Wonderful story. Other people groups are before us as well. Is this important? Friends, it's important because God loves men and women and boys and girls and wants them to know a future and a hope and a salvation only Jesus can bring. How do you beat that? <laughs> One more time, looking through the glasses, please. As we think about gospel unleashed, hope renewed, what about the area of change agents or leaders that we are investing in who will impact others' lives? I've just returned some, for some people who really get it, and it's a hopeful truth of how not only are leaders important, but the fact how God works through very ordinary, regular kind of people. You know, sometimes we get the impression if God's going to do something great, he has to find a superstar or another great famous person to do the work. But the, the bulk of God's work in the world is done by ordinary people, regular people, very much like all of us here. The federal prison in Waro, Peru, is a place of tremendous fear. Some 7,000 men reside there in a barren, empty, bleak prison designed to hold about one-third of that number. And our Gospel Unleashed leaders in Peru had vision to see something that very few people could see. Years ago, they prayed for this man. The man in the middle of the picture is named Cesar. He's standing to two other of our leaders there, one Maximo that you know and Juvenal that is our national director there. Cesar was in the Waral prison, and he was there for two reasons. One was for a very serious crime that he had committed that would keep him there a long time. The other was so that he could find Christ as a savior. Cesar was the prison enforcer. As he told us in our first visit to this prison, he said, I asked him where the guards were when we went through all these uh, checkpoints and gates and locks and everything. And he says, well, there's no guards in here because it's not safe for them in here. Thank you. Um, but we entered this place, and Cesar was the enforcer during his days. And people that got out of line, he would take care of so they never got out of line again. People prayed, and God answered and several years back, Cesar humbled his heart and embraced Jesus as a savior. Despite the risk, he began sharing the good news of the gospel with people all over the prison. It was a great, great tale. And people became believers right there in a place called Pod C and Waral. He was released, finally, after quite a few years. But after he was released, he remembered the thousands of young men in this prison and the hopelessness and the violence and all that took place in these cells. He came a part of our ITI program, taking classes with us. He takes men from Colorado and from Christ Community Church with him when we go back to Peru into this prison, which is a whole other story about fear in itself, as you might imagine. In the prison, we met people like Juan and Johan and hundreds of others. And somehow the gospel moved to other pods. We don't ask how that happens, but we know that the gospel is not hindered by razor wire and high walls. And now there are churches in each one of the pods. The good news is, 
His gospel, Unleashed Hope Renewed, is now preparing for an ITI inside the walls of the Wairau prison, hopefully in this, this year. We continue with other high-risk church planters in the area of the Horn of, the Af Horn of Africa and with deaf pastors in Kenya. And we have invites to Argentina, we've been in Ecuador, in Cuba, in Colombia, in Costa Rica, in Zambia, in Congo, and Egypt. Help. <laughs> you get the picture. God is opening doors for us to be involved in the training of leaders. It's a wonderful thing. I think about this sometimes, and I can hardly sleep when I think of the excitement of what God is doing, and somehow we get to be a part. But there's a barrier that I must speak about before we close. It's a barrier that's even deeper and wider than the Jordan River that Joshua faced, and it's the barrier of fear. You know, fear is like a smudge on our glasses. We think we're seeing clearly, but that smudge just comes, and it just kind of blurs the picture from time to time. And to me, the, 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 the most common way that this fear is expressed is in three simple words that seem to come from my lips as easily as possible whenever an opportunity comes. Maybe you said them yourselves. It is the words, but what if? I mean, you see this tremendous opportunity. You get really excited about this. We talk about something in church. Someone else shares some this or that. And you're invited to be a part, and then these words pop into your mind. But what if? What if this happens? Or what if that happens? Or what if things go badly? Or what if I fail at this? Or what if this whole thing collapses? Or what if this goes wrong? Or what if this costs me? Or what if this is really uncomfortable? What if this puts me in a place I don't want to be? And in my reflective moments, I somehow think, what would happen if we follow the what-ifs of fear? And if we live in that kind of uh, context in our lives? What if Pastor Ellen, for example, had shrugged off the impressions that he was receiving 10 years ago in this place and said, you know what, we're doing fine. Forget others, we're doing okay, we can manage, but just play it cool. What if Sabina there in the Amazon had said, you know, this is just really too risky, guys. You know, beside the snakes, there's mosquitoes that are really horrible here. And we don't know if these people even will like us or hate us or kill us or what they're going to do. We have no idea. What if our Syrian friends had retreated back into their houses in fear and kept the doors closed and not reached out to their friends? What if Joshua had thought, you know, this taking the land thing is going to be way, way too hard. There's going to be some people here that get hurt. What if the spies get killed or they're captured or it's too expensive or it's too risky? What if? And I think, what if teams stop going? What if people stop praying? Bold prayers. What if people stop giving? What happens? And I think all of us in this room know exactly what happens. History changes, and lives are affected, and friends, we are changed. We are changed as well. Christian leader Oswald Sanders put it this way. He said, a great deal more failure is a result of an excess of caution than bold experimentation with new ideas. 
the frontiers of the kingdom of God were never advanced by men and women of caution. I like that. What if we took the other side of this what-if scenario and ran with that for a moment? That is, what if I address fear and risk and see it as merely part of the landscape in which I live as a Christian? That is just part of the deal. What if I embrace this adventure of following Jesus and all that it means, and that develops courage in me so that I become uh, a more courageous person? What if I think and see through the lens of God's Spirit and suddenly discover that comfort is indeed overrated and that nothing compares with the satisfaction of being caught up in the adventure that God is, is leading What if I experience, in some part, this grand purpose of God as I participate in it and see God transform communities and people through me? What if I see that this life with Jesus is worth the risk? And maybe that's really the issue. Is Jesus worth that level of risk for us? I like to think we can rest later in heaven, okay? It'll be all right. Now we've got work to do. There's an adventure to be on. Well, there are many more stories to be written in Gospel Unleashed, Hope Renewed, that's coming up. But you are characters in that story. I'd like to share a little bit how you can participate briefly. When you came in, you'd likely receive the magazine called Unleashed, and this will give you a little bit of a forward-looking picture into the future about what's out there, what are some things that we're planning and looking at. You know, Gospel Unleashed requires resources. The work of God requires resources. As you'll see in the magazine, we have a goal of about $700,000 for this next year with all these initiatives and things that God is leading us into. That's over and above our our regular gifts. We're ready to begin, but we need your help and your participation. In that is a a commitment card. In fact, if you would even take that out, you could see what that looks like. I call Gospel Unleashed Hope Renewed, a 12-month commitment card. What we're asking you to do is to take this home, to pray over it, to ask God, what do you want me to do? Now, that's... I should just say, that's a really risky prayer. But just to make that word to God. God, what do you want me to do? How can I be a part? Take that risk of seeking him in this area. Next week, we're going to return the cards. In fact, by the way, you can also do this online through the end of this month and return it in that way. And uh, bring gifts as we just launch Gospel and Leave Hope Renewed. It's going to be a great time. We desire to raise funds to increase ministry in northern Colorado and in South America and in Central Asia and in Africa and in the Middle East in ways that God is leading us. Again, we invite you to participate. It's really important to be a part of that. Small gifts, large gifts, whatever you can do, it all matters. You know, friends, we can do this. Someone asked me this week, well, can you kind of give us a recap of what's been happening in terms of over these years? When we began 
with what we call Project Beyond nine years ago, we had no idea how you would respond. I mean, I, I still remember the anxiousness of that moment. Would people give a million dollars or would they give a dollar seventy-five? I have no idea where this is all going, what would happen. But you were tremendous, and people gave. And over those nine years, nearly $7 million over and above our normal gifts and offerings were given by you as a church family. That is amazing. And God has used those things both to reduce our indebtedness and to further kingdom initiatives. I'm thankful for you. Good job. Again, you can, add, you can complete these either in hard copy or online as you do that as well. Also, something that we want to call your attention to, there are some prayer cards. These are in the lobby at a display out there. I would like to ask all of you, stop by there, because in this display, we have set up uh, pictures and cards for all of our global gospel unleashed leaders. These are people from all over the world that we work with. These are our friends. In fact, I just picked one out, and my goodness, it's Assad, who works with us here at the Global Refugee Center, and... uh, On that is some information about him and how you can pray for him, and that would be a great thing to do. But all those leaders are there. And we ask that maybe in your group, small group, or personally or as a family, you might take a card or two and just take that with you and pray for that person, those people, regularly. It's a great way to connect on a personal level uh, in Gospel Unleashed. Uh, Sometimes we realize it's 40 people. That's way, way too many to pray for. So just find maybe a person or two. Maybe a country, if you're interested in India, for example, or you're interested in uh, people in our own community, there's places that you can connect there or a certain country as well to uh, pray for. It's a great way to connect and make this personal. Last year, I also undertook a project that I wanted to write a book. And if you're struggling with what perhaps, uh, what is going on in the world and some things in the world that are so troubling and maybe asking the question, where is God in all of this and what is he doing Is he involved at all? Or maybe you're feeling like, I'm so ordinary, I I could have no part of all this because I'm not important enough. This is a book for you. It's called Unleashed. It's out in the lobby. You can pick up a copy as well. It's filled, I think, with a lot of encouragement and tremendous stories of what God has been doing that are pretty fun. You know, over the past years, I've often thought, we must be crazy (laughs) to do this. My goodness, how did this happen? Where where is this all developed from? And I've had plenty of but what ifs that have popped in my mind. I am with you on this. Lots of times I've had fearful experiences and just wondering, God, what are you doing? Should we be doing this and all of that? I'm challenged by that as all of us are. But I'm also amazed at how privileged we are as a church to be a part of this, this bigness to what God is doing in our community and in our world. Real people have different lives because you have prayed and gone and given. You know, if you are more inclined to areas of compassion and that touches your heart, that longing can happen in this way. Some seek a desire to see more churches planted throughout the world. If that's your heart, this is a way to make that happen. If you get excited and your heart begins to beat faster when we talk about training leaders who are going to impact other people in the world, Gospel Unleashed is a way to see that, a reality. Where is God tugging your heart? You know, together, we have the opportunity to change the destiny of people and their lives.
The risk is real. The risk is being available to God, period. I thought about this passage as I was just preparing for this message, and it hit me personally. That when God says to me, go, I would like it said of me, I went. That I went. Friends, you are more than sojourners on the way to heaven. You are pioneers, advancing compassion, advancing the values of God's kingdom to people all over this world. Our purpose is wrapped up in this great adventure of the mission of God, of redeeming people just like he risked when he came to this earth for us. Now he entrusts the mission to us, to us here. I love this quote. Author Philip Yancey said it so well. He said, we are now the Jesuses left behind. God entrusts to us the mission to show the world another way to live to care for the vulnerable, to challenge evil, to heal the sick, to set the oppressed free, to attend to this world's ills, and to lead people to the only one who can give life. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you are... uh, the friend of sinners, which means you're our friend as well. And we are thankful that life is not about us, but it's about you. Lord, we need your help to see more clearly, to see you, to see your goodness, to see your plans, to see your love for us and for others. Lord, we need your help to not turn away from people and their pain. We need your help to see how you want to accomplish your purposes through us. Lord, in those moments when the but-what-ifs pop into our brains, we want to present those back to you. You've not given us a spirit of fear, the Bible says but of love, power, and of a sound mind. And Lord, we want to express to you that we will take the risk and say, I am available to you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray for our friends, whether they be in Greeley, whether they be refugees or immigrants, Lord, we pray for young girls in faraway places like India and Kenya. We pray for our leaders and courageous workers in South America, in the Middle East, in Africa. And Lord, we pray that indeed through us, hope would be renewed. As we take the risk. And as we follow you, Lord God, as we worship you now, as we respond, as we allow your word to sink into our hearts and just flow over us, 
we ask that you would just speak to us and work in us to accomplish great things. Lord, it's for your glory that we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.